Hello, friends, and welcome back to Bon Ami, the podcast about navigating friendships in adulthood. I'm your host, Allison Nowak Shelton, and today's episode is about friends and attraction, friends and sex, friends with benefits, everything in between. There's so much to say on this topic, and there are only three interviews, so just think of it as a sampling of all the different angles and opinions on this subject. And I do want you to know right off the top that most of the interviews in this episode are coming from a very heteronormative and monogamy-centric worldview. The episode before this was all about queer communities, and I plan to do another episode in the future on polyamory and friendships, but for now, we're exploring this topic and all its murky glory from the perspective of the lifestyle that really hates smirkiness and loves to make things black and white. Ready? On today's episode, I'll talk to my friend Josette, a professor of English and an expert in the intersections between popular print culture, reading practices, and sexuality in the U.S. I'll also interview actor, director, writer, musician, and activist Lynn Chen to talk about her film, I Will Make You Mine, which was an official selection of the 2020 South by Southwest Film Festival. And I'll round it out with my friends Gabe and Gabrielle, yes, you heard that right, a real-life couple who bucks the trend of denigrating the whole married-to-my-best-friend thing by really living it wholeheartedly in a genuine and intentional way. First, I ask you, have you been attracted to your friends? And what happened? One of the reasons I wanted to tackle this topic is how much it's capitalized on and I would say kind of skewered in entertainment. There are, of course, the two competing movies, Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached, both of which came out in 2011, so basically at the same time. And I really hate both of those movies. Uh, I think not only are the romantic partnerships unrealistic, but the friendships are as well. Though I, I have to choose No Strings Attached, I think, is a much better meditation on the potential emotional turmoil of a sex with friends scenario. Anyway. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole When Harry Met Sally of it all, a movie that questions whether heterosexual monogamous men and women can be friends at all, which was probably a good question in 1989. And I know uh, Lynn Chen in her interview um, talks about this movie just a bit. Um, ahead of my chat with Josette, who will tackle even more media representations, I want to offer a few other perspectives on today's topic via a few articles I found on the web. The first is an academic paper in a journal called Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. In it, these two scholars, Edward LeMay Jr. and Noah Wolf, described two studies that looked at how opposite-sex friends project romantic and sexual desires on each other. I'm just going to quote from the abstract because I'm no longer in academia and I can do that. <laughs> quote, in both studies, perceivers who strongly desired their friends projected this desire onto their friends, believing that their desire was more reciprocated than was actually the case. And it goes on to say, projection was elevated for perceivers who saw themselves as high in mate value and targets appeared to be influenced by perceivers' overtures 
primarily when they believed perceivers were high in mate value. This research suggests that for perceivers high in mate value, romantic and sexual desire creates biased perceptions that initiate self-fulfilling prophecies, unquote. So basically my interpretation of this is that if your friend is considered a catch, they're more likely to project attraction onto their friends and those friends are more likely to reciprocate. <laughs> Dang. Uh, but basically one of their points is that the idea of being attracted to your friends is often inflated and influenced by all these biases and maybe shouldn't be acted upon. An article that complicates this is called The Pros and Cons of Being Friends with Benefits by Aaron Benzaev in Psychology Today. He also points out the pitfalls of friends having sex, but he also points out how many arbitrary rules are often lumped onto a relationship like that. Here's a quote. To avoid commitment, the following pieces of advice are often given to FWBs, friends with benefits. Do not have expectations, have a time frame for the relationship, limit your time together uh, to no more than two hours a day, talk on the phone only once or twice a week, can keep friends out of it, don't do pillow talk, no sleeping over, etc., etc. He goes on to point out that there are tons of people who report having successful friendly sex relationships uh, because they don't want to compromise by either giving up on their attractions or their romantic freedom. Hence, he says, quote, they will want to find more flexible and diverse relationships like friends with benefits, which seem to feature the best of both worlds, but can also be problematic because they combine these worlds. After all, even in friends with benefits, there is no free lunch, unquote. A third perspective I offer is from Maria Burnham, who published an opinion article in HuffPost called Making Out with Friends, Should You Cross That Line? Love that title. Basically, she says, look, sometimes it's a problem, but you set the boundaries with your relationships and you can do whatever you want. I love this quote at the end of her article. The thing is, we have gut instincts for a reason. Obey them and you will save yourself some heartache and precious energy. I have experienced firsthand just how fun it can be to make out with your friends and they remain my friends to this day. Establish boundaries and have some fun. Love it. <laughs> and look, these are just a few sources, but there are many. Um, lots of different angles to think about. Let's hand it over to Josette, who will offer some more excellent meditations through the lens of TV sitcoms. Here she is. So I guess one of the things that I think about a lot is alternative sorts of relationships that aren't, you know, wedded to just either being strictly friends or, or right, or ro romantic. And I think, you know, you're, you were talking about the, the queer friendships. And I think this is definitely like a, a straight, very kind of heteronormative thing where you have, you know, uh, you know compulsory monogamy kind of thing. So I, I, yeah, what, what kind of other possibilities for friendship exist that are beyond um, we're romantic partners and we're going to be in love forever or right we're just friends and this isn't sexual this isn't romantic and this isn't intimate um, and so I think there's a kind of and like you were saying right with tv and movies there's only two options really right it's either your friends or you get together um, and if you get together 
it goes really well. Like those friends with benefit movies, like both of them, right? Don't they end up together in the end? I can't remember. Right, it's like, uh, of course they were in love the whole time. Yeah. Right. Or it like blows yeah. up their face. I actually can't yeah. remember. So either your friendship is destroyed through romance and sexuality yeah. or it becomes like a partnership and which in a way that also destroys your friendship (laughs) at least or at least like right in creating some new dynamic you're kind of having to say goodbye to that friendship yes yeah so I've always sort of yeah been interested in what other possibilities could exist beyond that and right what ways to hold space for friendship that isn't just platonic right or or recognizing the ways in which many friendships aren't platonic I guess right or what kind of messy troubling nuances appear um so I've always kind of been interested in that and so that was why I was I was I I have my tv shows in which I was thinking of talking yes please do yes and (laughs) and I think that's I think it's really cool to talk through this with tv because so much of TV, especially I think the ones you're going to talk about, like um, um, sitcoms, right? Like so much of sitcoms have to do with friendship circles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So a kind of weird example, I'll start with my Laverne and Shirley example. Please do. (laughs) Um, Which is a sort of strange example, but I remember it and I was just recently watching it on Pluto. And I remember so clearly being so confused by the relationship between Shirley and Carmine on the show because they weren't ever really together, but they sort of dated, but it wasn't clear. And then they didn't end up together at the end of the series. Um, and so when I was kind of revisiting it now, it was, it's like their high school, I mean, the plot is that they're all friends from high school, all the whole gang, the whole Laverne and Shirley gang. Okay. Um, Did they but, all work at that factory from the beginning? Um, I haven't really watched this show much. Yes. So. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley and Lenny and Squiggy work at the beer factory. The beer factory. Uh, okay. Like a dancer, um, <laughs> as, a, as a side note, but so I think her, him and Shirley are high school sweethearts and then they all kind of move out together and they sort of date on and off, but they're in basically an open relationship, which I think is really interesting. And so I remember being as a kid, like, I'm like, what is going on with these characters? Because there also wasn't really a point where, you know, where you see like on other TV shows, like Friends or How I Met Your Mother. I mean, again, I, I would have to go back and like watch it where it was like, now we're just friends, right? Now we're dating. Um, where it was kind of like they might go out on a Sunday and then they might go on a Saturday. I don't know who goes out on a Sunday. <laughs> they might go <laughs> um, but then they might date someone else. And there was, you know, sometimes there'd be like jealousy, but it was this thing about, you know, we like each other, we love each other, but we know that we want to see other people and want to see what things are like. Um, and there was an episode recently that I watched where <laughs> where Squiggy Laverne or no Shirley was trying to tell him that this woman was using him and he was like don't you think I know that you know he's like I've never had a Carmine and she's like Squiggy mine and Carmine's you know our relationship we love each other it's based in friendship and I was like um so I just remember being very confused about that relationship as a kid because it didn't sort of mesh with what I thought relationships and friendships looked like especially it's like a show that's representing the 50s yeah so when I yeah when I was just looking at a message board a reddit thread (laughs) 
Shirley and uh, uh, Carmine should have got together. And all these people are like, she was such a tease and right, wow. she wanted an open relationship. And like, that's so weird because wasn't she supposed to be a good girl in the fifties? Wow. Uh, what, a, what a cool show. <laughs> um, but yeah, they don't, they don't end up, you know, getting together in the end. And again, I, for anyone who's maybe like listening and, and it's like, you clearly don't know you're Laverne and Shirley. I, I haven't gone back and watched every episode. But, <laughs> That's fine. You know, I do know. That's fine. Like so different than, I guess, if we're talking about friends, right? Or how I met your mother, where the whole thing is right. Oh, you know, Ross is in love with Rachel the whole time. And they're never really just friends, right? And then they end up together. And he was never happy for her when she was dating anyone else or, you know, I mean, maybe her too, but let's just, you know, go with Ross. Um, and write the same thing with Ted and How I Met Your Mother, right? It was always about Robin. And right. even when they were pretending like they were friends, the end goal was always getting them together. So to see a show where that isn't the end goal, but you're still playing out, you know, this sort of friendship slash lovers dynamic, right? In the show I was watching when I was a little kid, um, you know, from the 70s, about the 50s, thought it was really a fascinating, fascinating portrayal of a relationship. So that's my first, that's my first one. Yeah, seriously. Well, and like you're saying something that not just of the time, but even now kind of stands out because even now we're seeing these shows that have this same tired trope of like, well, if you have any romantic feelings at all for your friend, you're probably gonna, right? It's, it, it has to be love or else right. nothing. And so, yeah, so what a, what a diamond in the rough type of situation to see. But then you've also mentioned, not to rush you in your thesis here, but you've also mentioned The Good Place, which oh, I yes. never really thought about until you started telling me about this, about Eleanor and how, yeah, she just wants to love up on all her friends. She does. Yeah. Um, so I actually, this is what my research was. Um, I went back and I read this article that I, or that I had read in 2008 by Nora Taylor that's called A Love Letter to the Horniest Woman on TV. Because um, when I was first kind of starting to think about Eleanor, I think I was doing some searching and this came up. Um, and so she's talking about how she's the super horny character, right? She's the super horny character and that she's horny for all of her friends. Um, and that it's presented in a way that's not fetishizing. Um, and that the fact that all of the people she's horny for are all characters of color who are, you know, clearly hot to us, right? And she's kind of breaking it down. And or this is what this author says, right? That, um, you know, here we have all these ridiculously hot people and Eleanor, the character is like, yes, I'm spending eternity with these ridiculous hot people. That's cool. I'm excited about that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. obvious. Um, and so that's something I really, I really, I really like about this show. Um, but also I, I agree, right? She's not ever really like fetishizing her friends um, or pushing their bound, you know, she's not like coming onto them or, you know, pushing their boundaries. Um, but it's sort of always like acknowledging, you know, that she gets to be in the good place or hell or wherever in the afterlife with these like three really hot random strangers. Yeah. 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 And you're right. She doesn't push herself on them, but she will make a point of very enthusiastic, like encouragingly tell them like that <laughs> she is attracted to them, but like not in a way that makes 
it seem like she's expecting anything out of that, which is kind of cool. I would agree. That's pretty cool. Except that then she does end up with Chidi, which. Yeah, she does. But I think that like overall that if there's any show, I guess right, that I really feel like is just deeply very much about friendship Mm. and the intimacies of friendship and ways that friendship can be more, you know, possibly more intimate than romantic relationships and connections between friends can be, you know, more significant than your family. Mm. Um, so right, that, that's, I think that at the core, that's what the show is about, is about this sort of deepness of, of friendship. Because, right, you have these people living eternity together and, right, they start off by, you know, not knowing each other. Um, but it's eternity with your best friends, not your family, right? Not your, you know, boyfriend or husband or whatever in your, in your life. Um, and so I think it plays out the ways that friendship can be sexual and romantic and complicated and troublesome, but at like its core, right? There's this um, deep connection between the characters that makes it all okay, right? So even like, um, I guess uh, Tahani and um, Jason, right? They have a kind of <laughs> thing, right? And then Jason's in love with Janet, but they're all still friends, right? There, it doesn't, it doesn't change the the kind of dynamic of the fact that they're soulmates in some ways, right? The whole show is, it begins right by this kind of fake thing, right? They match you with your soulmate, and it's not really real. But one of the ways it ends, right, is that they are each other's soulmates. Wow, that's very profound. <laughs> I don't think I really realized that about that show. That's really interesting. So, yeah, so I think what I like so much about Eleanor um, is that, right, you have a show which is just at its core about the ethics of friendship. And you have a character, right, who's moving through this world in a way that doesn't, I was almost going to say Hugh, like an academic, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't sort of match up to um this idea that, right, you're either friends with someone or you're romantic and you're in love with them. Um, and even her relationship with Chidi is, you know, also very much about friendship. And Yeah, that's true. First. So I guess that's what I find really interesting about the show, that the show about friendship is also about, you know, intimacies that could be, you know, more than what we think about uh, as platonic friendship or beyond that. Yeah, I like what you said at the beginning about the fact that like, why can't we just open up the idea of friendship a little bit and not have it be this like um, taboo thing where it's like, if you kiss a friend, suddenly it means all these extra things. No, I like that idea about meaning, right? That we have this, like maybe if you made out with your friend, you'd be like, oh, it didn't mean anything. Um, but that isn't true, right? That's Just not true, right. the multiple meanings that could exist mm. outside of it meaning, you know. Yeah, because you really love your friends. Like, I really love this person. And I'm not going to spend my life with them and, like, want to wake up next to them every day. Gross. But <laughs> I still love them and, yeah. like, can explore, like, what that means. Mm-hmm. 
Speaking of media in this episode, I thought I would interview Lin Chen as well, who made an absolutely lovely and gut-wrenching movie called I Will Make You Mine. In the interview, we talk a lot about the film as sort of insiders, so if you haven't seen it, you might feel a little outside the combo. I'm giving you permission right now to stop this podcast and go watch it straight away. It's available to stream and rent all over the place, Um, but I'll also give you a little synopsis. So the movie is technically the third in a trilogy, although you don't have to watch the first two films. Um, It centers on a musician named Go, who has had some rocky relationships with three women throughout his adult life, but really the movie is about the women, Rachel, Erica, and Ye Ming, and the ways in which they navigate getting older, their relationship to this man, their histories, what they want in life, all sorts of things. And Lynn and I mostly talk about Rachel and Go, who were best friends in high school and had a very will-they-or-won't-they vibe all throughout the years. Go in the past was actually in love with Rachel and wanted them to be more than friends, but Rachel wouldn't have it. And then later when Go got with Erica, the mother of his kid, Erica felt threatened by Rachel and Go, and um, Go ended up distancing himself from Rachel. Um, And other things happened as well, but now in this movie, Rachel is having second thoughts and sort of convincing herself she might still want a shot at Go. Um, Even if you didn't follow that, just go ahead and give a listen to this interview. Well, cool. Well, I saw your movie. It's amazing. Um, This is a while back, but I watched your film and then I watched the first two because I was like, oh, well, now I have to get into all these characters. But um, I mean, as a lot of trilogies are or sequels or you know groups of films you don't really need to watch them all and I love how different yours is and obviously how much it resonates in terms of the women uh in it and the female characters but uh I'm really intrigued by Rachel and Go and their relationship and their relationship is established in the first two films but then you really, you know, take it in this new direction and you really flesh out their backstory more, I think. And so can you describe their friendship and how you think about it? Yeah. So in the first movie, Surrogate Valentine, it was pretty clear that this was a high school relationship where nothing happened but there was definite interest on both parts. However, Go was definitely the one who was much more interested in Rachel and Rachel kind of relished that power, you know, that she like really enjoyed having that hold on him. But the fact that he could never do anything or make a move or or take it to the next level just made her made her never want to make mm-hmm. the first move either. So they just sort of lay in this limbo. Um, and when we finished the first movie and it, you know, all the first two movies end on a cliffhanger of mm-hmm. who will go choose. Um, 
you know, after we finished the first movie and I had had such a wonderful time and experience making that first movie that when I heard there was a second movie, I was so hopeful, you know, of course that Go and Rachel would work out, but you know, it like obviously <laughs> then that wouldn't be an interesting story if they worked out. Um, but I didn't, I, I, I think I was like, oh, there's two other women and neither of them are me. Um, and so because the story shifted in that direction, um, you know, I just, we, we all just went with it, obviously. And suddenly we have, um, it's not even a triangle, it's a square because mm. we have three women and we have go. And when it came time to do this movie, this last movie, because Dave had always said it was going to be the most low budget trilogy ever made. <laughs> I always thought, I always wondered to myself, well, I wonder what, what they're going to do with Rachel and go, because right now, as, as it, as it stands with the second movie, I don't think like they're even interested in each other anymore. You know, like I, I kind of just feel like they're friends and that's it. So what part does Rachel have in the third movie? I, guess I'm not going to be in the third movie. Oh, <laughs> you know, I kind of almost felt that way. Um, but, you know, when it, when it came time to do it and, and when it became clear that I was going to be the one who was going to be writing it and directing it, um, obviously as a selfish actor, I was like, well, Rachel's going to have a nice juicy part in this. How do we make this nice and juicy? That's awesome. So it was selfish <laughs> in a lot of ways because I wanted to continue their story. But no matter how I tried to force it, you know, of like, and then they lived happily ever after. I, I just, I just, the characters as they were did not want to be together yeah. in that way. And so I instead thought it would be more interesting if um, when I approached it, I approached it from a place of what could have been. And then once I did that and told the truth of, of, of what their relationship was and then dove back into the past of how, how you can be how you can be interested in one another and then be okay with being friends, but then have it go back to romance. How would that look? And the only way I could see that was if Rachel was in some sort of emotional crisis in her current life yeah. and wanted to go back and relive it and push it again. Yeah. Um, because I, I didn't see any other way that they could just, like she wasn't going to be single just waiting for him right. all these years. And, and I didn't see, I just didn't see them getting together unless it was under circumstances that were very unhealthy. Mm. Um, I just couldn't see that happening um, as, as, as two people get older and, and drift apart, that like for them to end up together and for them to have had the history that they have had, it was not gonna be something smooth. Yeah, I love it so much. It's so realistic, you know, to have these friends be dancing around each other um, first of all, is already so realistic, I feel, especially just as someone, right, who you start to get older and you're with someone and you're with someone for a while and then you start thinking, you know, what what could have been, right? What could have been? 
And I love that the second film, he kind of pursues her, right? Like he kind of, he's kind of like puts himself out there or maybe it's the first one. I can't remember, but it's the um, first one he does. The first one he puts himself out there and she's like, well, no, (laughs) no, it's not going to happen. And then for it to come back around to her, you know what I mean? And for her to say like, okay, well, um, you know, what could have been and, and how can I, how can I almost pick the scab a little bit, honestly? Yeah, totally, Um, totally pick the scab. Yeah. And that's just so realistic and you just cringe. It's very cringeworthy, but it's very realistic. Um, One of my questions for you is that Rachel quite clearly in this film says to her therapist that this was her best friend. And it really struck me and it's only one little line and it's just this one little moment, but I, I suddenly just felt like their friendship. Cause I was thinking that this was kind of like a, Oh, you know, go had a crush on her. Like you said at the beginning, she had this power over him, but really they were very, very close. And to me that, that idea of them being best friends, you know what I mean? It, it, it drives home even further how much they should not be getting together (laughs) because they have something to protect really. Um, Is that kind of a deliberate thing in terms of imagining more of their friendship? Well, I'm not sure if it was clear to you, but part of what drove them apart was that Erica, his his baby mama. Yeah, um, didn't like Rachel like Rachel Mm, because she always felt like Rachel was a threat because of their friendship. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an example of, you know, those male and female friendships. Mm -hmm. You have them. Mm -hmm. I have them. My husband has them with other women, you know, where it's that way when Harry met Sally thing of like, Mm -hmm. can men and women who are heterosexual truly just be friends? And I think for Rachel and go, they played this game for a long time of like, yeah, Yes, we can. Of course we can. But there was something else there. And Erica knew that. And Erica was like, I call bullshit. And sorry, I have a kid now with you. And you can't do this anymore. You can't still be friends with this woman who you're obviously in love with. And so she made that decision. And he just in go fashion, in his character fashion, not actual go Nakamura, but in his character <laughs> fashion, just like let it dissolve. He ghosted her and they moved on. And so I think, you know, that's part of it is like the not talking about like, we were friends, we were great friends. Yeah. And then you just let it dissolve and there was a reason for it but it was so uncomfortable that we couldn't even talk about it and even as and and this is like probably one of the reasons why like her husband doesn't know about him because it's it's that painful to her that like she had somebody in her life who was her everything and it went away and she really can't make sense of why Mm. um her the the dissolving of her friendship with go was like the moment for her where she just dissolved all of her hopes and dreams for like who she was going to be and she just resigned herself you know she like met 
Josh, who was rich and very handsome and was like, I'm going to take care of you, babe. And she was just like, all right, I'm going to be that chick. And it goes against everything I've ever wanted. It's just easier mm. because it was so hard make, trying to make her dreams happen with Go mm. um, that she just gave into it. And then, you know, once she was in it, it just became a mess and she didn't know how to get out anymore. The other thing I really love is that, you know, you, you actually just mentioned before that Rachel, uh, that, you know, the baby mama doesn't like Rachel in, in these, these other films and I, and the, the third one, but I love this idea, this moment that they actually end up meeting for coffee. And it's almost like just this piece, like we're making peace we're adults. Yes. You know, it was funny because the feedback I got when um when I wrote that script uh for the for that draft, all the male readers were like, I don't understand. Why would she invite like why why do this? Why really? invite the ex? And I'm just like, I understand why. Like I'll never forget when my husband's ex sent a Christmas card and put my name on the Christmas card. I was like, Oof. you see, she acknowledges me. She doesn't hate me. Like, mm -hmm. and it was so, and like, I remember him being like, I, so what? of course she's so gonna what? put your name on it. You're, you're my wife. And I'm like, you don't understand. Yeah, you don't understand. This was a conscious decision. Yeah. And I think that acknowledging that, um, is important for our healing. I think so too. I, th I think it was just such a strong, it, it was just such a test of strength for both those characters all of a sudden, especially Erica, honestly, where it was just suddenly like, no, yeah, we're, <sighs> these women don't have to be sequestered, like all orbiting go. Like, right. you know, they need to kind of deal with each other and deal with who they are and growing up. And I loved it. I wanted to pay homage to the first two movies of the the question mark a little bit of like, who is Go really, who does he really want? Um, like I wanted there to be a little hint of that even though we do know who he ends up with, like who does he actually still want? I still wanted that to be a question mark. And I also wanted it to end where it began with his story. Love it. I love it yeah. because I just feel like you don't get enough stories where people go through these hard times. They consider leaving, maybe they even have separations and then they get back together and things, you know, it's not happily ever after it's, we worked really hard through this <laughs> and we're going to keep yeah. working hard. Same with Rachel and her husband, right? Like, yeah, it's, I think that's very realistic and we don't get that enough. We usually get the 180 pivots of like, oh, I've actually yes. been in love with this person all along and now we're going to be happily ever after. It's like, really? Yes. I had a lot of pushback about Rachel really ending up with her husband after all of that. And for me, I just think it's, again, it's about being realistic Yeah. because that's what I feel like I wanted from my ending. Um, was this sense that like, maybe it's not satisfying to you as the viewer, but these are people's lives. Yeah. 
and we don't always end up with who Hollywood thinks we should end up with because life just doesn't work out that way and I think you know this is a movie about aging Mm. so much so um in the first two movies it's that gift of like youthful hope of like your dreams and 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 thinking and maybe naively thinking if I do this this and this then like I'm gonna get what I want Mm. and life just isn't that way and part of growing old is that acceptance of like oh didn't get what I wanted probably will never get what I want but it's okay Mm. it's fine Part of what I love about what Josette and Lynn brought to the table were these stories of complex friend relationships between people who are attracted to one another. And want I want to go back to something Josette and I talked about in terms of there being this threat that sex or romance will somehow destroy the friendship and what a giant fear that is. Josette seemed to imply that the fear comes from a place of not being open to possibilities of alternative types of relationships. And Lynn's movie shows just how much can be lost between two people when communication isn't there about how that attraction fits into the friendship. Uh, I'm going to close out with an interview of a couple I know, Gabe and Gabby, who started as friends and made the leap into romance and never looked back, Um, but who really deliberately try to keep the parts of their relationship based in friendship not just alive, but active and present in their marriage through, of course, that all-important tool, uh, communication. So I had to get you guys on because, uh, you know, you guys are like best friends turned spouses, basically. Um, Gabe, your Twitter handle literally says, I married my best friend. (laughs) Does it really? (laughs) Do you ever go on Twitter? Did you know that? Yeah, it's on my Instagram too, I think. Um, there you go. How bad, do, okay. How do you not know about my- I'm never, bio? I don't use Twitter. I don't use Twitter. Oh boy. See, this is a this is an argument that friends would have, right? Awesome. Yes, absolutely so, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure Gabby told you, I don't know, are we, we're diving right in, but- Dive in. I, I, met, I met Gabby- Yeah, you wanna tell your version? Oh yes, I want. Well, I, met Ga- I, I met Gabby. So I met Gabby through my brother. They they were or they still are best friends. Speaking of, um, and she was the first person, not my brother, that I met in New York City. And so I kind of just, as anybody who's moved to a new place, I just was like clung on to her because I was like, I don't know anybody else. She was super sweet, uh, and she worked. Her office was like. I don't know, four blocks away from, uh, I was crashing on my brother's couch for a while. And so I, I, I would come and visit her at lunch and stuff. And I was looking for jobs. So she had a fax machine at her, uh, her office and she would let me fax stuff. I didn't even know how to fax things. And she was like faxing it for me. And so we, we did build this like that really us just interesting. A What's that? I said that dates us just a little. Yeah. Uh, and so it was an interesting dynamic because I, I, like I said, she was the first person I, I had met uh, and she was just this really awesome person and, and was kind of also like a tour guide of the city 
she helped me navigate that uh, and look for jobs even. So really special person to have uh, right off the bat, quite frankly. Where did you move from, Gabe? Oklahoma. Oh, so, wow. Speaking of fish out of water, it's like <laughs> I was I was just like a deer in headlights coming out of uh, the subway and just into this crazy world of the city. Wow. And so again, it just drew me to anybody that was willing to be nice to me because I'm like so used to talking to everybody and everybody being kind of nice to you and helping you out to New York City, Manhattan, where like you're going to get run over if you're not like paying attention, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and so she way. was, she was, she was like a, a really, uh, like a safety net in a lot of ways, I think, um, as far as like making sure that always, she was all, I always felt like she was kind of watching out for me too. Um, it was awesome. That's so nice. Gabriella, are you from New York? I am. I'm from, I grew up in between upstate New York. Well, I would consider it upstate. Most people wouldn't just two hours north of the city and the city. So, and then I moved back to New York city as an adult. And so I was, I had been there for a bunch of years already. Um, and Gabe came to visit before he decided to move there. Cause he was choosing between New York and LA cause he had a film degree and was trying to figure out what to do with it. And so New York won out in the long run because he had Tim there and he didn't have anybody in LA. But so I had been hearing about Gabe. Gabe literally gets off the subway, like arrives in, in New York City, gets off the subway and walk at, like walks out of Penn Station and comes right to my office. It's like pouring rain. He didn't know anybody else. Tim wasn't even there yet. Tim's like, just go to Gabby and like, just go sit there and I'll, I'll come get you. She'll take care of you. So that was my first introduction. And he was there for like a long weekend. And that weekend, um, we like took him out one of the nights, like took him to, you know, like some of our favorite little spots and stuff. Yeah. And we just like became those friends that, you know, walked around, did everything together, like hung out. Uh, and then I left one job, went to another, and that was a startup. And uh, Gabe knew the person that hired me there as well. And so, and it was a media startup. So Gabe, we like, you know, got Gabe's resume in there they hired Gabe as a producer. And so then we worked together as well. Oh, so dang. we would, we both lived on the Upper East Side. Well, I lived on the Upper West Side. He lived on the Upper East Side. We'd walk into work. We'd walk like 40 blocks to work together in the morning. We'd work together all day. We'd figure out dinner or whatever together. We'd go home. And so we were together all the time. It's kind of like right now, like our marriage <laughs> right now. Quite frankly, with the pandemic, I mean, pandemic style, we're with each other 23 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't till so the turning point. Really, this is the the hokiest thing of the whole story. But I'm at work. We have obviously we have uh, some mutual friends at work, um, and one of them be, was actually my roommate who worked with us. And so she's seeing firsthand this whole thing playing out, really. And one day she's like, dude, you need to just ask her out. I'm getting tired of this. <laughs> and I was like, I just don't know. And uh, I've told Gabby over the years, like it really, what was tough for me was like the idea of, I had thought about asking her out, but not only were we really close friends, but we worked together. So in my mind, I'm like, 
if it goes south, that's going to really ruin so many different things. Like it'll just suck. Like at, seeing her at work, I mean, it would just. I don't know if it's worth the risk, quite frankly. You know, I I had so many fears about the commit the committing to it and having it go wrong. That really got me stuck, quite frankly. And I'm I'm able to see it now, but yeah, at the time I was, we were already we were we we were essentially dating, uh, almost to the marriage point, like we talked about. Uh, I I just, yeah, I didn't see it quite that way in the moment. Did you feel that same like misgiving, Gabrielle, like the the risk factor? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that, who like have crushes on friends or feel like they could see something more with their friends. Did you have the same kind of like fear of it going wrong? I don't, I mean, I guess I did a little bit, but I don't think so. I think mm. I was fairly certain. Like I'm a pretty quick, I don't need a lot of time to deliberate. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at going, yep, that, okay, we'll do that. Yes, with this, that, you know? And so I think I just kind of knew that and I trusted that and I, and then, but at the same time it was like, okay, if it's gonna go there, it's gonna go there. And if it's not, it's not. Either way is okay with me. And I, and I think that is like, we hit that point. I, now that I remember, I had set a date for myself in my own head that I was like, if he's not there by this date, then I, then we'll stay friends. We're good. But then nothing else. Oh, and so he was like, just inside that window. <laughs> oh, wow. That's wow. Okay. But what about like, you weren't planning to ask him out if he didn't meet that? I had, it was like, I, no. like, I was totally the aggressor in this relationship so I like I, I was like I've, I've done like, everything I, I, I brought it up <laughs> I brought it up as much as I could we've had all the conversations I knew his fears it was to the point where it was like up to him he was either going to act on it or he wasn't I and I made it clear either way is okay but but I'm not going to do the back and forth anymore so you, yeah. it like balls in your court you you tell me how you want to play this but make a decision that's so admirable. I feel like I'd be a little bit more like Gabe, just like, oh my God, I'll just let it go forever and be unhappy forever. <laughs> it, it's one of the things I love the most about her though. And I think why we've, we've managed to, to, you know, start with a really strong friendship and then, and have this uh, long, long marriage now. Um, because I, I, she, she really pushes me out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways, in a good ways. So you guys weren't like childhood best friends, but you still consider it like you were best like you were best friends at this like young like this youth time. Basically. Yeah, early to right? mid 20s. Like yeah. Like, it's still such a formative time. I yeah. don't have a ton of really long-term friendships. I have a few girlfriends from like, you know, middle schoolish age and I have, you know, a, a friend that was my best friend when I was really little and we've grown up, but like, stay, I, I mean, you know, we're in each other's lives to whatever degree. I don't have a ton of those longer lasting. I've got Tim, Gabe's brother, who's, you know, 16, 17, 18 years, whatever that is. Um, and a couple of other adult friendships like that, that have lasted that amount of time and Gabe's one of them. So how do you think your long-term friendship impacts your marriage or vice versa? I mean, the easy answer is like, you know, you have to have a bedrock of friendship for marriage and all that kind of thing. But I feel like what you guys went through is like a little different and also that you're so in a way reliant on each other for that friendship and marriage fit. So do you yeah. feel like, yeah, what's, what's the impact there? I, I think it's, um, 
Well, I think it's a couple of things. One is um, we can and do talk about anything. So like, there's nothing off limits. Like we are, we, that's, I think our superpower is our communication and it doesn't always look pretty. Um, and it doesn't always go how one of us would want it to go. Like it gets messy. It gets loud. It gets, you know, we walk away and take a break or go for a walk. We've had those moments, but we don't ever leave things unsaid. Um, so we, our communication, I think, and I think that's more reflective of the, the style of a close friendship than of many marriages. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I want to end with the moral of the story, which, as I see it, is that friendships and sexual relationships both require a lot of understanding, exploration, honesty, and communication. And I really don't see any general or hard and fast reason that those two types of relationships can't overlap. If you are experiencing loneliness, a loss of emotional support network, or general feelings of depression or anxiety, please reach out. Pleaselive.org, all one word, is a wonderful organization that has a big list of hotlines you can call to get some support and relief. Forhelp.org, that's the number four, H-E-L-P.org, is also a resource library with tons of national and local hotlines you can call. And crisistextline.org provides 24-7 support via text message. Many thanks to the thousands of volunteers across the country that care enough to do this work. And a huge thank you to my guests today, the genius Josette, the incomparable Lin Chen, whose film I Will Make You Mine is available to stream and rent on many different platforms, and the generous Gabrielle and Gabe Huffstetler. The articles and resources I mentioned in this episode can be found on the pod site, bonami.com. That's B-O-N-A-M-I.com. I'm Allison Nowak Shelton. This is a completely independent podcast. And I am here saying that friendship is amazing and life-giving and at the same time enigmatic and hard. Keep reaching out for what you need, mon ami. 